Well, I'd like to welcome you to today's podcast. My name is Stephen Harrison. I'm one of the associate editors for Hepatology. And with me today, I have Dr. Al Katani from Johns Hopkins University, who, uh, who joins me to talk about his rapid communication in the July issue of Hepatology that is entitled Safety and Tolerability of Ledipospir Sofospivir with and without ribavirin in patients with chronic hepatitis C virus genotype 1 infection, analysis of phase 3 ion trials. Welcome to today's podcast, Dr. Alcatani. Thank you, Stephen, and I would like uh, to thank Hepatology for this opportunity to discuss the uh, current paper. Well, I think it's a fascinating paper. You know, it really centers around this whole idea of as we rapidly advance in the field of eradicating hepatitis C with new direct-acting antivirals, the whole notion of ribavirin is still in the picture. You know, we can't seem to get rid of it completely in our clinical practice. And I think that's the, the nidus for you doing this kind of retrospective look of the Phase three ion trials. Can you share a little bit with me about your reasoning for doing this study? Very good question, and as you mentioned, ribavirin historically is essential part of the treatment for hepatitis C virus. The reason why we did this analysis, we were thinking to find out, is adding ribavirin providing any additional benefits to the cure from hepatitis C? And also, we were looking about the adverse event associated with ribavirin compared to ribavirin-free arm. And just a little bit of background about the phase 3 ion trials. The phase 3 ion trials, there are three phases, phase 1, 2, and 3. And they looked at the combination of lidipisphere and sofosfavir as a single tablet regimen versus the uh, lidipisphere sofosfavir plus ribavirin. And um, if you looked briefly at the uh, design of the study, we analyzed almost 2,000 patients from ion 1, 2, and 3. Ion 1 and ion 3, they looked mainly at treatment-naive patients while ION2 was a study essentially looking at treatment experience patients. And the study methodology, we analyzed uh, three uh, trials looking mainly at the clinical and laboratory adverse event associated with ribavirin, and also the uh, success rate in terms of SVR between ribavirin-containing arm and ribavirin-free arm. Yeah, you had quite a number of patients, and looking at the uh, paper, it looks like 1,952 patients. And you know, pretty close to an even split between those who received ledipospir sofosfavir without ribavirin and then those that had it with ribavirin. And you even break it down a little bit further. You had about 16% that were African-American, about 11% with compensated cirrhosis, which represented about 224 patients with compensated cirrhosis. And not surprisingly, you had about 500 or 26% that were obese, had a BMI of greater than 30 and about 23% that were treatment experienced. So tell me a little bit about the, the top line results. What did you find? So overall safety, if we looked, the both regimens were very safe and well tolerated. The adverse events were more prevalent in the ribavirin-containing arm compared to the ribavirin-free arm. If we looked at treatment-related adverse events, it was almost doubled in the group of patients who received ribavirin as 71% compared to 45% in the ribavirin-free arm. When we looked at the treatment modification or interruption of treatment due to adverse event, it was less than 1% in the ribavirin-free arm compared to 14% in the ribavirin-containing arm. So this tells us that the patients who receive ribavirin has significant higher adverse event 
and uh, they are more likely to discontinue or uh, stop the treatment during the course of therapy. However, there was no death or treatment discontinuation due to adverse events in both groups. Sure, Dr. Akotani, that's not an unusual. We, you expected that, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so in my opinion, what I think is, is you know, really interesting is the overall SBR rates didn't change, really, depending on whether or not you used ribavirin or you didn't. And, and the interesting thing is, and you don't really go into it in the paper, but, but maybe you can tell us, if you look at these subfractions of patients, the African-Americans, the compensated cirrhotics, the obese patients, ribavirin didn't play a role there in SVR either, did it? Exactly. So uh, although we don't have a large number of cirrhotics, it's about 10% in the study population, but uh, ribavirin actually did not add any significant improvement in SVR in any of the subgroups. When we divided the groups into cirrhotic and non-cirrhotics in the ribavirin-free arm, the adverse event overall uh, did not look much different. However, in the ribavirin-containing arm, particularly the cirrhotic patients, they have more uh, incre or increased number of adverse events. The other thing we looked at is also looking by age. We divided the patient group into less than 65 years old and above 65 years old. And actually, even the elderly group did get an excellent SVR rate, and there is no significant improvement of the SVR by adding ribavirin. Yeah, ultimately, the rate of SVR in those receiving ribavirin and those that didn't was the same, 97% when you look across the board. Is that correct? Exactly, exactly. Okay. And uh, one thing interesting is the most common adverse event in the study population were fatigue and skin rash. And these were more prevalent, actually, in patients who receive ribavirin compared to the ribavirin-free arm. Sure, and again, not, not unexpected to see that. Anemia wasn't unexpected either, and, in, and I think it was 7% in the ribavirin arm and 1% in the non-ribavirin arm, correct? Uh, correct. Uh, so the anemia also were more common in the ribavirin-containing uh, arm, but there is no patient-required blood transfusion. Other aspect we looked at it is actually the need for use of over-the-counter medications to manage side effects during therapy. And we found significant increase in the need of the over-counter medications to treat the side effects, in particular antihistamine for skin rash, topical corticosteroids, and also medications to help sleep. They were more prevalent in the ribavirin-containing arm. Now, you looked at symptomatology. Did you look at any PROs, any patient-reported outcomes? No, actually, it was not part of our analysis in this study. With the exception of fatigue, I think. Exactly, fatigue. with the exception of fatigue. Sure. The other thing we looked at, which is uh, significant, is we know that ribavirin has been associated in the several studies in the past with decrease in lymphocyte count, and we found there is a significant drop in the lymphocyte count in the ribavirin-containing arm. However, no patient developed unusual infection during the study. But this is something looking to be interesting, a question for the future analysis. Sure. So in conclusion, your, your findings suggest the addition of ribavirin to lodiposphere of phosphivir treatment regimens increased toxicity without providing additional efficacy. Absolutely. And what also we think that ribavirin, as you know, it's contraindicated in patients with kidney disease patient with uh, cardiac disease, and also in couples who are planning to have uh, for pregnancy. So all these are an advantage of avoiding ribavirin in, as a part of treatment of uh, hepatitis C. The other important finding, as you know, 
Ribavirin can cause anemia, and T patients on ribavirin need frequent monitoring for their CBC count during therapy. However, avoiding ribavirin from treatment will help reduce the need for routine uh, laboratory evaluation. And in general, in our conclusion that there is a mean decrease in hemoglobin of 2.6 gram in patients who receive ribavirin compared to the ribavirin-free arm. There is an average increase of total bilirubin by 0.5 gram per deciliter. And also about 14% of patients who receive ribavirin need dose modification during therapy compared to patients on ribavirin-free arm. And I think we are moving the path we're talking about interferon-free regimen for treatment of hepatitis C. I think currently and in the future, we are talking also about ribavirin-free therapy for hepatitis C as a part of direct-acting antiviral. Sure. Well, before I let you go, and I really appreciate you taking time to talk about this retrospective analysis of the phase three data, you do allude to a little couple comments at the end talking about the possibility of shorter treatment duration and reduced treatment costs may justify the continued use of ribavirin in specific populations. And in the phase three ion trials, there was an eight-week arm that was looked at. And let's just dwell on that just a moment. In the eight-week arm where, you know, they've identified that viral loads less than six million may be able to get by with eight weeks of lodiposphere sofosbuvir. Any inferences made in reference to ribavirin in that subgroup? That's a very good question. Actually, also when we looked at this, this particular group, adding ribavirin did not increase the SPR rate significantly. And we mentioned in our paper that, uh, look, there are a SOLAR-1 and SOLAR-2 study which looked mainly for cirrhotics. And there are some suggestions from SOLAR-1 and SOLAR-2 that adding ribavirin might increase the SPR rate or shortening duration of therapy from 24 weeks to uh, 12 weeks. Okay. Well, super. Any final thoughts on this paper or looking at the way forward? I think it's exciting that uh, moving forward from uh, avoiding interferon in the past to also avoid ribavirin uh, in the future. And it's fascinating how this uh, rapid improvement in the hepatitis C therapy. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, Dr. Alkatani, thank you for your time today as, as we briefly discussed your paper that's a rapid communication in the July issue of Hepatology and hope to see many more publications from you in the future in our journal. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for the opportunity and happy to hear from you. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Take care.